Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am joined by Maya Payne Smart, who is here to empower us as parents to inspire a love of reading in our children. Welcome, Maya. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our chat. Me too. Before we dive in, I want to tell our listeners a bit more about you. Maya Payne Smart is an educator, literacy advocate, mother, and author, whose new book, Reading for Our Lives, a literacy action plan from birth to six, explores our country's literacy crisis and explains how parents can proactively give their children early advantages in both reading and life. Maya holds a master's degree in journalism from the Medill School at Northwestern University and a bachelor's degree in social studies with honors from Harvard University. She serves as affiliated faculty in educational policy and leadership in the College of Education at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Her website, mayasmart.com, publishes new book lists, literacy activities, and free family resources weekly. Maya, I understand you call your book the literacy guide you wished you'd had when your own daughter was an infant, and that you learned in your research that simply reading aloud to our kids is not enough to ensure reading readiness. Will you start by telling us about how your personal experiences and language development research inspired the new book? Absolutely. So when my daughter was born 11 years ago, I remember leaving the hospital and having gotten training on how to nurse her and how to set up the car seat and all those sort of basic things that are very feel very life and death when you have this newborn infant in your arms. And so I was very much in survival mode. But once I got home and got settled, started reading to her every day and wanted to give her just the love of books and reading that I personally had. And I had a lot of time on my hands <laughs> in those early days and just had a deep hunger for more information, more detail. I knew to read to her, I knew to have books around the house and take her to the library. But I just got really curious about what really goes into becoming a reader beyond books and discovered that there are many layers to that process and that a lot of it begins really with language. So the words that we speak, the conversations that we have with kids long before they're able to respond to us in words. And so it was just a, a long journey of asking questions, reading news articles, reading academic journal articles, and eventually beginning to interview experts to, um, from a variety of fields. That's great. And we, we were bonding over uh, both having 11 year old daughters and there's, you know, so much that I can look back on and think, man, I wish I had done that differently, but I'm trying to kind of reframe and think, what can I, what can I do now? There's still lots of things that we can do as our kids grow to inspire reading and literacy, but but let's first look back at that infancy period. Um, I love that you talk about how inspiring literacy really begins when our children are really young. And in your book, you detail the talk method. What does this entail and why is it so important to start conversing with our kids when they're infants? 
So if we think about reading in terms of two big buckets, I'll say of skills, there's the skill of decoding print, sort of matching the sounds that we hear to letters that we see in print. And then there's this whole other bucket of skills that go into reading that are really related more to oral language and vocabulary and background knowledge. And those are all of the, that side of the equation is really important. And we start seeding all of that in infancy. We don't know the exact day that kids will understand the words that we're speaking. So it's really important that we start from day one. <laughs> and what the research shows is that it's not just the words that we speak to kids, but also their responses, their coups and babbles, and eventually words and response. So I talk about the, the talk acronym, the T is for taking turns so that we always remember to give that pause for them to respond. And that really is the mechanism that they learn, build brain connections and forge the brain architecture that eventually supports reading. Asking questions is the A in the talk acronym. And again, that's important because anytime you ask a question, you need to pause for their response. <laughs> so it just reminds parents, it's another way of reminding us that it really is a duet, it's an exchange, it's a conversation, even from day one. The L is for labeling and pointing because all of the words, all of the objects, people, faces, everything in a child's environment that we point out and describe and give a name for, those are all words that they'll one day be able to recognize in print. And then the K is just to keep the conversation going. So I like that acronym because there are four short things that every parent can do whether you have a book in hand or not. So anytime you're in a moment and you're not unsure of what to do, <laughs> I think it should give you a lot of confidence to know that simply talking and remembering to ask questions, label, point, and all of those little things really do have a big impact over time. That is so fascinating. And one thing that really sticks out to me is pausing. And I'm thinking, my, my kids are not infants, but I could certainly do a better job even now with them and pausing and, you know, giving some more time and space um, to hear what they have to say and to look at things around us. Like you talked about looking and labeling and how that can still really enhance our kids' vocabulary, even if they're already reading themselves. Right. And so when they're little, all of those things change as they get older and learn and grow. But when they're little, you'll often refer to things always with the same terminology. So there's a plant in my office here. So every time if I had a young child and every time they were around that plant, I might point and say plant or leaf or describe things in sort of simple terms and always the same term until they've learned it. But over time, you could become more sophisticated. You could use the actual name of the plant, which I don't know. <laughs> and you can give, you could talk about the soil or what it requires to take care of it. And you can introduce scientific concepts. And so pretty much anything that we know, we can share with kids in a way that's engaging and builds their background knowledge and vocabulary to support all kinds of learning down the road. And I love that because it doesn't, feel as a mom that doesn't feel like something else I have to add to my to-do list. It's just a way of being curious and noticing what's going on around us in our everyday life. So I love that. And I am I'm making a mental note that I need to be more focused on that and more intentional about it with my kids. Let's talk about You're right. The um go ahead. The, you're right that 
all of these things can be done easily in the course of the time you already spend with your kids. I think it's really important for parents to know in this day and age when we're so distracted and there are so many stressors and so many things to be managed and so many things to give our attention to, I think it should be really reassuring to parents that the research indicates that you can have this major impact by doing simple things in the time you already spend with your kids. Oh, I love that. That eases my mom guilt. So thank <laughs> you so much for that. Um, let's talk through some of those critical literacy milestones from infancy through elementary school. What are some things that parents need to be aware of so that we can kind of monitor our kids' progress? I definitely recommend that parents get familiar with developmental milestones from um, authoritative sources like the CDC publishes milestones, and you can check with your pediatrician for different ideas. And to refer to them frequently, not in the sense of it's a checklist of things you have to hurry up and teach your child or a hoop to jump through, but just to raise your awareness of things that kids are typically doing at different points. So it'll give you insights into typically when kids are saying words or beginning to understand directions. And you can kind of observe, I'm a big advocate of journaling. So I recommend that parents just jot down notes about what's going on with their child periodically. And then when you have pediatricians, those well child visits, you can bring up things that you've seen and observe things that you may be worried about or have questions about. So I think just referring to those guidelines is helpful to raise people's awareness of um, development. But those milestones don't often give parents specific insights into things that are happening that directly contribute to reading. So in my book, I have one chapter, the second chapter kind of walks through different ages and stages and what's going on with kids in terms of book behavior. So for example, letting parents know it's perfectly normal for a child, a little baby to chew on a book or you know, kind of swat the book and throw the book that all of those things are important parts of their development and engagement and that it's just sort of a, a step on the path to reading. So I think that was sort of an interesting layer of information that I included in the book for parents. And I also really wanted to emphasize that connection between language milestones, which are listed in CDC milestones and typical lists of ages and stages, and how that, again, contributes to reading. So one of the studies I cite in the book mentions that or found that kids who took part in a lot of back and forth exchanges as 18 to 24 months old, month old children had much larger vocabularies, much higher IQs when they're in middle school. So we don't often think <laughs> about things we're doing with toddlers having a direct positive correlation to things that are happening years into the future. But again, if we understand that reading isn't just about matching sounds to letters in print, it's about how we understand words on the page and our ability to, commun to communicate through written language, then it um, opens up a lot of teaching opportunities for parents. That is so fascinating. And again, I feel like Asaja's some of that parent guilt about I've got, we have to sit down and we have to look at the words in the book. You know, that is reassuring to know that just having those everyday conversations obviously has a huge impact on our kids later in life. It does. And then also reading books with them introduces a lot of vocabulary and ideas and background knowledge as well. And then I would say by the time they're 
three or four and you're noticing that they're paying more attention to print, you can use those opportunities to teach them letter shapes, name, sounds, and describe for them that all letters are made of lines, dots, and curves. Because we forget as adults and fluent readers that it really is difficult to tell the difference between a letter and a number or a letter and some other drawing on a piece of paper. For a child who's new to looking at print and understanding that it means something, it's hard to know the difference between a, the number one or an L or just a line or an I or all these things look similar. So I encourage parents to spend time and you don't even have to have a book. You could just write a letter on a piece of paper and say, you know, this is A, it's made with three lines, a long one this way, a long one that way, and a short one connecting them. Or if you do have a book in hand, just sometimes tracing the text and you don't have to do this every single time and make every storybook reading a deep lesson, but occasionally just drag your finger from left and right so they understand that that is the way text is read or that text goes from the top to the bottom of the page. So there are all these kind of little print awareness lessons that you can teach easily in everyday life. You can bring attention to a letter on a cereal box or a t-shirt or whatever print is in your environment. And then another really important skill to focus on when they're, I'd say, preschool aged is phonemic awareness, which is building awareness of the sounds within words. So, you know, the initial sounds, some books with um, tongue twisters where each word starts with the same sound can be helpful with building that, but singing certain songs, wordplay, pig Latin, all those kind of things um, where you're manipulating sounds within words, blending letters together, segmenting things apart, all of that helps with the decoding side of reading because they'll need to hear those sounds separately in order to match them to letters and do the work of phonics down the road. I'm just sitting here thinking how I wish that I had gotten to have this conversation with you about six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking through how helpful this information is, especially for parents who still have young children or whose kids are just kind of starting their journey to read. Um, I do feel like I got more laid back as um, I had more kids. You know, I was very into sitting down with my oldest child and looking at the letters and talking through all the things. And by my third child, I was a little more laid back, which benefited him <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things that his teacher has been talking about in first grade right now is exactly what you said about pointing at each word with them, um, or, you know, if they're rushing through the text to really slow down and use your fingers as the parent to kind of help direct them. So, so much of what you're saying, it continues to be really relevant, even as our kids are in that process of learning to be readers independently themselves. And for parents, we have to cut ourselves some slack. I got into this because of that initial curiosity, but many of these things I learned after it wasn't sort of the optimal time to implement it with my daughter. So I might read the study about the 18 to 24 months old and she's already five at that point. So <laughs> you can't kind of go back in time, but what we can do is share what we've learned with other parents in our community. And we can also apply the bits of the advice that are still relevant to the age that our child is in. And I think a lot of it is just, about remembering as parents to really focus on the things that are high impact for our kids. Is there, we can be pulled in so many directions and there are so many things we could do, 
um, for our kids, but remembering that if we lay a really strong foundation for reading, that is one of the best things we can do. When kids read well, they can learn anything. <laughs> so for me, it was also a way of just kind of simplifying. Like I can't necessarily give her access to every, there aren't enough hours in the day to do every single extracurricular, or every enrichment opportunity or every thing. But if we do these simple things that are kind of high leverage things really well, it has a, has a positive impact for that child's learning trajectory, but also for our relationship, because so many of these things are about just talking and spending time and sharing what we know. These are such great reminders for parents. Um, you, you talk about the six parent levers for literacy in your book, and I know you've talked through some of these. Um, is there anything else you can share with us that parents can employ beyond reading aloud to encourage that reading readiness in our kids? The conversation piece, which we talked about earlier, is huge. So I actually devoted two chapters to that, just to remind parents, urge parents to talk more than you think you need to and know that your voice is just the absolute best teacher for your child, particularly in their earliest years. Then book reading is important. People will give you different numbers. Some will say, read 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, an hour. I say, even if it's five minutes, it's worth it. There were many days when I was tired where we had a book of five minute fairy tales and just try to establish that habit of sitting with your child in the book to signal that reading is important, to try to get their attention for as long as you can keep it, <laughs> to introduce like the vocabulary and all those wonderful things within the book. But don't beat yourself up about it if you can't establish that habit because there are so many other things you can do to support literacy. And then teaching, it's really important for parents to know you can teach vocabulary, you can teach awareness of the sounds within words, you can teach the print awareness things that we talked about earlier, just even what a letter is or what a letter name is, and then get into letter sounds. And it really is a powerful lesson just to say something as simple as, oh, this is the letter A. A says, ah, like an apple. And just those little touches, it helps over time. And they begin to recognize that, oh, the, the letters mean something. And it means this thing. And every time I see that, well, almost every time, <laughs> it makes that sound. Um, so teaching is the third level lever. Fourth is connecting. So being a part of parenting community, seeking out resources, going to events, asking questions, of your pediatrician, of the librarian when you're at story time. There are so many people within our community, parents of parents who have older children are great resources. And so connecting is really important, not feeling like you have to provide for your child's every literacy need. It really is a collective responsibility. And then the fifth one that was really important for me to include was budgeting. Because in my research, I found that there really is an extraordinarily large tutoring industry in this country, and that many families are getting the reading results that they want for their children by paying for tutoring. And so I thought it was important not to say that everyone needs to do that or to imply that everyone can afford to do that because everyone can't, but just so people are aware that the choices you make about how you spend your money may also have implications for things like educational outcomes. And it could be that you budget to take your child to a museum instead of an amusement park or whatever the different choices are. I wanted people, I wanted parents to just think more about all of the tools that are at their disposal to influence child's reading. And then the sixth 
lever for reading success was advocacy. And so if you're a parent and you read a book like Reading for Our Lives and you learn how to do these things in everyday life, at some point you may get to a point where your child is in school and you're seeing a need for their teacher to have more support, maybe better books, maybe better curriculum, maybe better training to sort of help your child get to their next level as a reader. So advocacy is another important way to impact reading success. That's so helpful. Thank you for sharing those. Um, I want to get your advice also further on vocabulary. I know um, this is a, an area that I'm kind of in the midst of right now. My um, third grader has vocabulary tests every week. So we're sometimes we're learning new words together, which I love. Um, what are some creative ways that we can enhance and encourage our kids' vocabulary to grow? I think one way is just introducing interesting vocabulary into your everyday conversation. So we had the plant example earlier where it may just be plant at first and then later it moves into a more technical term and then you introduce some scientific words. Books often are great sources of new words. So as you're reading, you can make a note of interesting words and in the moment, take a second to make sure that they understand what the word means. So you may learn to give just a little quick definition or explanation. I also like to, as a game, just have them provide other words or other ways of expressing what that word means. So synonyms, but also examples, and then also counterexamples, So opposites or things that are different. And so it just gets you in the habit of making words a topic of conversation. I love that. I. Um... I'm remembering that my one of my family members, when their kids were little, they would play a rhyming game at the dinner table. So somebody would, you know, say a word, and then they'd go around, and everybody would say something that rhymed with it until they couldn't think of anymore. Um, and my kids, who were at the time almost too young to really kind of grasp the concept, still thought this is so cool. Um, <laughs> and it did, you know, really exactly what you're saying made those words and made learning fun and something that they could expect that their family was going to talk about together. And road trips are great for this. I remember being in a meeting and there was an icebreaker where people talked about, you know, what they did summer vacations years ago when we were kids. And it was amazing how many people in that room described going on long road trips with their families and all the word games that they would play in the car, you know, looking for license plates with a certain letter or words that started with a certain sound or all these rhyming things like you mentioned. So if you find ways that your particular <laughs> um, child finds fun, the more fun and light all of this can be and the more repeated and consistent it is, the better. That's great, I love those ideas. Um, so. A lot of your book really focuses on younger kids, but for those of us with tweens and teens, how can we continue to encourage a love of reading and reading for fun as our kids get older and can read independently? I think if you can make it social, that helps. I remember when my daughter first began reading the little chapter books, I think they were Owl Diaries, when she was in kindergarten, those were the first, you know, books with more pages and they were paperback and smaller. So it didn't feel like children's books, but of course they were. And she had a friend who was also reading that series and they would trade the books and talk about them. So if there are ways to bring them in community with other readers, that's wonderful. There are some great teen book festivals 
and library sponsored programs. There's so much wonderful um, young adult and middle grade literature these days. So also if they um, develop an affinity for a particular author, trying to find opportunities for them to hear that author speak in person or online. So any, any way to make it social helps and to really support their interests if there's a particular topic. I spoke with one parent whose son is really into Minecraft. So you can't always be on the screen playing Minecraft, <laughs> but that's what his son would choose to do if he, if he had total control of his time. So he's introduced books about Minecraft that deepen the child's understanding of that platform and how it works and all of those things. So follow their interests. If you find that they like one thing, find something similar, find something with that topic, that author, and make use of the school librarian, the your local librarian as well. Bookstore, independent bookstores are great recommendation engines for books that they might like. Those are great ideas. I um, have gotten some good ideas for my oldest from some of her teachers, um, current and past teachers. And I don't know if you experience this with your child, but sometimes when it's someone other than mom who makes a recommendation at this point in her life, she is maybe more likely to listen to that. So when I have been able to say, here's a book that your teacher thought you would like, um, she was more willing to accept that and get excited about it than if I had been the one to suggest it. That has absolutely been my experience as well. <laughs> my daughter is in, she does a book club with one of her grandmothers and she reads yeah. a lot of things recommended by her English language arts teacher and books that she's gotten from the school library now. But I found that she really enjoys reading reviews. So she will read through several reviews before she picks which book she wants to read next. And so parents have to remember that that counts as reading too. <laughs> so reading the reviews, reading the, the book jackets, seeing what others have said about it, all of those things count. Those are such great ideas. Um, as our kids in today's world are more technologically advanced than many of their parents are, what are your thoughts about has technology hindered or helped as far as literacy and encouraging that reading readiness for our kids? I think it has definitely hurt in a couple of ways. So one, by taking the parents' attention away from having those really valuable, nurturing back and forth conversations. I see so many parents in airports or stores or wherever who hand little, little kids their phone. And so some of it is to get through the meal so the child's not screaming and disrupting the restaurant or whatever the situation is. And there are definitely times when children can have a device, can watch something. Every minute of every day doesn't have to be educational. Um, but I also think that our own device use, when we're locked in on our phone and not making eye contact, seeing what they're interested in and talking and responding is a problem. And then secondly, when we hand, when they're really little and we hand them devices and they're hooked, <laughs> and then it's hard to peel their their eyes away from the devices. And we should be really skeptical of um, educational, supposedly educational um, programs on technology for kids under the age of two, because there isn't any evidence to support that they're really learning from the device. And so we can also, you can, when they're older, they can learn vocabulary, certainly, from some high-quality programs and documentaries and movies but it's always better if there's some engagement with you around the, the content to get that real time kind of contingent response. 
That's a good reminder for me that it's not just, um, you know, helping my kids set boundaries on their devices, but that I need to do the same thing for myself and, you know, model that for them and um, be engaged in those everyday moments with them. That's really important. And if you can find ways to make hard boundaries, like when they have devices, everyone's devices plugged in and charging at whatever time, you know, 830, whatever time makes sense for their age and your family. And then try to hold yourself to that too. <laughs> and then suddenly there are these hours in the day that have to be filled with something. And so it ends up being board games or books or whatever. So I've, there, I can't remember the name of the campaign, but there was a campaign where they would spend from sunup till sundown on Saturday or Sunday with no devices. And it just creates some wonderful memories because there's that, that void and you fill it with family activity and conversation. That's a great idea. Um, what are some of the inequities related to reading development that all families need to be aware of? And what's your vision for the future for how communities can effectively address those inequities? We have a really um, bad situation when it comes to reading achievement in this country. And it's much worse than many people realize. In my book, I cite a figure of 36 million adults between 16 and 64 who can't read enough to compare and contrast information or find something within a long document or all these sort of basic reading skills that you would expect someone to have by the end of elementary school. There are millions and millions of adults. And then since the book has been published, I found statistics, credible ones, even from the Department of Education that have that number being even higher. <laughs> so it's just incredible the number of people who don't have these basic skills. And I think sometimes people who do forget <laughs> um, how hard it is to navigate life when you don't have those. And most parents who are watching or listening to a conversation like this one are on top of things and it's unlikely they would have a child who is completely illiterate, but there are levels of this. And there are many kids who struggle unnecessarily with becoming um, great readers because of a weak early literacy foundation at home. And then also because of reading instruction challenges in schools. COVID really, um, really um, diminished the um, reading instruction capacity in many schools. A lot of veteran teachers retired. There have been teacher shortages. There have been teachers just, you know, retiring or leaving the profession. There have been a lot of stresses within classrooms. And so it's not guaranteed that your child will arrive in classrooms where they have a teacher who's been really trained in best practices of reading instruction and equipped with the appropriate curriculum and supports to deliver it. So we can't take it for granted. There have also been a number of studies showing that kids born during COVID, so after June 2020 is when this study found that they're having language delays as a result of you know stress and all kinds of issues during a pandemic um, in your home or not being able to go to childcare or being in childcare where there was less conversation going on because of health concerns. And so children are having language delays, which may contribute to reading delays as well down the road. So we have a situation where we have less prepared teachers <laughs> being greeted by less prepared students. And it's just really complicated to get everyone up to speed. So I think it should definitely be on everyone's radar. And even prior to COVID, there were big disparities in reading achievement 
depending by socioeconomic status or by race and all kinds of other factors. So it's important for everyone um, to be aware of those challenges and how dire it is and how um, illiteracy or low literacy has an impact on everything from people's health to their job prospects to likelihood of incarceration. And it's just, it's just amazing how many things um, reading impacts in the life of a person. And so in terms of my vision, I hope that parents will read Reading for Our Lives and gain a better understanding of all the little things that go into literacy and things they can do as a parent to help their child, but that it will also raise their awareness of reading instruction more broadly so that they can be great advocates for better supports for everyone. That's such helpful information. And I think you've given us such good reminders of why this is important, not just in our own families, but in our communities as a whole. And again, that this does not have to feel like another thing on our already busy to-do list that it's very doable to incorporate a lot of these strategies just into our everyday lives. And sometimes, like you said, that means being committed to putting those devices down so that we can make space for more reading and conversation in our families. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Maya, for this conversation. I feel like I have learned so much from you. I know all of our parent viewers will as well. And thank you for helping me feel more empowered as a parent today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. To all the parents, I say, you can do it. You've got this. Yes, and thank you. We need more of that in all of our lives. So thank you <laughs> for being that cheerleader for us today. For our listeners, find more presentations by nationally renowned parenting experts through membership in the Modern Art of Parenting. Visit modernartofparenting.com to learn more about memberships, which are just $19 a month or $199 for the year with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.